Hey everyone, it's Allie. Welcome back to the Feeling Good Sometimes podcast. In today's episode, I sat down with Laura Shaw, who is an eating disorder recovery coach, and we chatted about what she does as an eating disorder recovery coach, a little bit between the difference between an eating disorder recovery coach and a therapist or a psychiatrist. Uh, I will say there is a trigger warning for this episode as we do discuss some topics when it comes to eating disorders, eating disorder treatment, eating disorder behaviors. Um, So I will just throw that out there. Um, But yeah, this was a really great episode if you wanted to learn a little bit more about eating disorders or you have struggled with an eating disorder in the past or are just curious. Um, It was really great to hear from Laura as she is recovered from her eating disorder and now using her background and her story to better the world, I will say. So I hope you enjoy today's episode and thanks for being here. Hi, Laura. Welcome to Feeling Good Sometimes. I'm so excited that you're here. We start every episode with asking how you're feeling. So how are you feeling today? Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I'm feeling a little nervous, but really excited. Uh, Yeah. Awesome. So I figured you could just introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name is Laura Shaw. Um, I'm an eating disorder recovery and body image coach, and I just launched my business this year called Laura Shaw Coaching. So I provide recovery coaching for people struggling with eating disorders, dieting, and disordered eating. Um, Yeah, I live in Hamilton, Ontario, from a small town, though I grew up in Perry Sound. So that's a little bit about me. Awesome. And what made you decide to get into becoming an eating disorder coach? Yes. So I actually am in recovery myself. Um, I've been recovered for about six, seven years now. Um, I grew up having a pretty disordered relationship with food, but not really understanding what that was or that it was disordered. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until I went to university in 2010 that things kind of started to get a bit worse. And I think the transition plus having a little more control with what I ate mm-hmm. and what I was doing and trying to cope with my mental health. Um, my eating disorder kind of spiraled a bit. Um, so I sought treatment for the first time in 2012. Um, and I went to residential program and it definitely saved my life and really helped start my recovery journey, but it was not a smooth ride from there. Um, I did have a relapse in 2014, Um, and then went to another program, but as you know, from what you shared about your story, the wait lists in Ontario Mm -hmm. are very long. So I was on a wait list for about six or seven months, Mm -hmm. um, and then did an outpatient program in Ontario. And then since about 2015, 2016, um, I've been in recovery. And so it's kind of hard to track for me for how long I've been in recovery. Cause I think my journey really did start in 2010, um, or 2012, sorry, when I started recovery, but mm-hmm. it's definitely been more solid recovery the past six or seven years. Yeah. I feel like eating disorders are so, I mean, we, we're going to dive deep into it, but when it comes to like, people say if they're like recovered or in recovery, it's not like addiction or alcoholism where you are like, 300 days sober and then you start over again. I feel like for eating disorders, when you're 
when you start your recovery, like, I don't want to say everybody, but most people do have slip ups. It's natural. Um, and then you don't necessarily start your recovery all over again. Like you're always in recovery. I feel like, isn't there, I don't know, you can correct me if this is wrong. Like for some eating disorders, you have to be like active in so many symptoms for so long for it to be considered like you're fully in your eating disorder, which I also don't believe is true, but yeah, it's, it's definitely hard. I think, I mean, we can talk a bit about the intersectionality of eating disorders and, Mm -hmm. but not, but I think even just getting a diagnosis can Mm be really difficult for people and the preconceived ideas of what eating disorders, you know, quote unquote look like. Um, so I think it's hard when people don't always get a diagnosis and then feeling invalidated, but then having treatment resources, needing diagnoses in order to get into a program can make a lot of barriers there. So I think, I mean, with recovery, once you kind of start learning things, it's not like you unlearn what you have discovered through recovery and like understanding where your eating disorder might show up and what, how the behaviors kind of show up in your life. But yeah, recovery is not perfect. There's going to be days and moments where it's going to be harder. There's going to be slip ups, but I think also recognizing, is it a one-off or is there a pattern developing can kind of help see like where you are in recovery. Yeah. That's very important because eating disorders do follow, have a lot of behaviors that tend to ripple as the eating disorder gets stronger. And like, I find for myself, like I've become pretty self-aware, so I can pretty much figure out like, okay, like this is starting to happen and it's going to lead to this and it's going to lead to this. Um, and I know what's going to happen if X, Y, and Z happens. Like, but when you're in your early stages, it's just kind of like you're there's no, like, there's no blinders. You're just full on going. Like there's, that's the best way to explain it. Like there's no blinders, nothing outside of like the little tunnel that you're going down matters. It's just like full on force. Um, whereas when we think about different kind of mental illnesses or addictions, it's very like, I don't want to say, obviously I haven't experienced, so I don't know, but I feel like there's not as much gray zone. Do you think that's right? Yeah. I mean, I, I personally don't have experience with addiction and uh-huh. I do have friends who have struggled with addiction. So, and eating disorders, cause there can often be a yes. lot of overlap. Uh-huh. Um, I think it is a bit harder in terms of, yeah, there's, there's this gray area with eating disorders where you still need to eat and learn how to uh-huh. kind of connect your food and your body um, while living in a society that really glorifies diet culture. Uh-huh. And with addiction, I think, if people take, um, I mean, there is a harm reduction models, but if you're taking more of a sobriety, like full sobriety, then that's a different route. It's a more black and white, I guess, but I also, that's not my area of expertise. Uh-huh. So it's, it's hard to speak on that. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, okay. So we're in 2022 now. So when did you, what made you decide to become like an eating disorder coach? Like, how do you, find that like working with people who have eating disorders and you're like do you you consider yourself fully recovered or do you think you're still in recovery um I consider myself fully recovered um I honestly for a while I didn't believe that being fully recovered was possible I thought people Uh who talked about it thought it was just like not possible I was like they're lying there's no way like how can I never have these like 
urges to like engage in behaviors and whatnot. Um, and it's just in the last few years that I realized, oh, I think I actually am recovered. Like I'm, I'm not turning to these behaviors when things are stress, stressful, if things get a little chaotic, like I'm really have healed my relationship with food. I'm eating intuitively and not concerned about the shape of my body. Like I've really, it's taken a long time to get here, but I've done a lot of the work and had access to resources in order to get to this point. Um, and so to touch on why I got into recovery coaching. So growing up in a small town, um, we didn't have access to resources, especially for eating disorders. So I basically, once I went through treatment the first time, I was like, okay, I really want to use my story to help others. Uh And how can I do that? So I was thinking first about going into therapy and becoming a therapist. Um, But I felt like over the last few years, there's a gap in care with eating disorder treatment. So therapists and dietitians and treatment programs are all super helpful. But what about when you step down from a higher level of care and in between appointments that you have with a therapist or dietitian? There's a lot of downtime that can be really difficult to kind of deal with on your own and cope. So I really wanted to create something that I didn't have access to. So that's kind of where the recovery coaching came from is being able to offer what I wish I had when I was in the thick of it. Uh Yeah, because I know for myself, when I went through, like, finished the intensive portion of my treatment and had to move back home. I had to go back to like outpatient, like, but it wasn't like as strict of a treatment center. Um, And I was like, okay, what do I do now? Like that transitioning back into like real life after being like watched 24 seven told what to do, like on a strict schedule, like with people all day and then having to like live life on your own, like without like your disorder, your illness, like helping you. Um, that part was so hard. And I think that's a part where there's a, like, there's a lack of support, but also that doesn't get enough attention. I don't think, because that's where people go back into it because it's just like, they're going to fall back into their old behaviors. That's honestly, I mean, I don't want to say like treatment was the hardest part, but coming out of it, I didn't expect it to be that hard. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize how important it is to have things lined up before Uh you go home. I mean, my first few times going to treatment, I didn't have, or even was aware of how difficult the transition was going to be. I thought I could go back to school the next semester. Like I Uh just kind of thought, you know, life was on pause. Now we go back full force into what I was doing before. And it's just, it's not sustainable. Um, And so like with recovery coaching being a newer kind of addition to the field, it's definitely more popular popular in the U.S. It's still newer, okay. but Canada is starting to kind of get traction with it. And I mean, I'll explain a bit. So recovery coaching, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a dietitian, but I provide supplemental support for in the moment. So when therapists look more about like the why behind an eating disorder and kind of we'll talk about the past recovery coaching is more the present and what we can do in the moment to help support a person. So we can work through urges, coping strategies, um, yeah, self-care, body image work, um, a little bit of neural retraining and just kind of support what your team also, the goals that they have. So if, I mean, some of my clients will also have a dietitian and a therapist, so I'll meet with them 
monthly and kind of make sure we're all on the same page and take okay a that's cool to care. yeah I think it it treatment really needs to move towards individualized care because not I mean programs are not created for everyone you know it's a one-size-fits-all and eating disorders are not one-size-fits-all they're also mm-hmm. not accessible for marginalized people people in marginalized communities and marginalized bodies so like I'm a thin white woman treatment was made for me, right? Like those programs were made for me to get into, but what about the communities that don't have access to that and can't afford it? So it's kind of, I mean, there's a lot of layers to all of it. And so hopefully recovery coaching can kind of help fill some of the gaps to bridge treatment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a big part of, obviously we're speaking of Ontario because that's where we're located and that's both what we went through. Um, But getting into any sort of treatment in Ontario is ridiculously hard and long. And yeah, you either pay a lot of money or you wait a long time. And I don't know yeah. what's like changed now. Like when I went through it, it was like 2016 to 2018. So that was pre pandemic. So I don't know what it's yeah. done now with the pandemic. Like I'm sure it's even worse. Um, but yeah, so what was, your process like so you obviously went two times to two different yeah. places yeah the first one um I actually was very privileged and my family and extended family were able to help support me to go to a treatment center in the U.S. um oh, okay interesting yeah so that part yeah so that was um I'm very grateful for that experience and know that that is also a small minority of people that actually get to go through with that. Um, and then that was super helpful and I struggle with depression and anxiety as well. So that was really a way to help support all aspects of my mental health by going to that program that I went to. Um, and then the second time I went to treatment was outpatient in Ontario. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was a bit different. I think it was hard, um, in terms of it, not always having access to like it was all group therapy basically. Uh-huh. So I definitely struggled not having the individual therapy aspect to also support the other areas of my mental health that um, needed support. And I think, um, I mean, this was back in 2015, but the treatment program I went to restricted exercise, um, uh-huh. which I do want to talk about like exercise and movement and recovery. Cause I think it's really key that treatment centers and treatment professionals have a way of talking about and incorporating it in our lives that's sustainable. And so, I mean, I understand that for a government funded program, they have to kind of have these blanket rules, but I used to be in high school, like a cross-country runner, cross-country skier. Like I really found movement helped me with my depression and anxiety, but the eating disorder kind of flipped it a bit. So mm-hmm. I think to tell someone that they're going to relapse if they ever exercise again, when you have some people like my therapist and my doctors telling me that exercise will help my depression, anxiety, and then other doctors saying, actually, that's going to make you relapse. It's really confusing. And uh-huh. so I think for treatment professionals to be, and I think things have like started to move in a better direction of incorporating movement into recovery. Cause Also, a definition of exercise and movement is like so wrapped up in diet culture. Like I always thought it was just to change my body, to lose Mm -hmm. weight, Mm -hmm. calories. 
but that's not it. Like we mm-hmm. movement is going for a walk. It's breathing. It's stretching. It is like so many different ways to define movement. And so I think if we can find ways to incorporate that in a positive way in our life and understand that we need to move away from figuring out how to control our physical achievements and our physical looks and focus more on the mind-body connection, that could be really powerful. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, shaking my head because that like when I went to treatment, it was you could not move. Like, obviously we could walk from like the psych ward to the other room and we could walk from X to here, but like, you couldn't be like stomping your foot. You couldn't be like moving in your chair. It was like torture. And because I was obviously very active, like being an athlete my whole life. And then I mean, my eating disorder did make it worse. Like I did over exercise, but like you go from 100 to zero, like you, you aren't allowed to do anything. And I just remember like getting, I don't know when I got like the privilege to go for like a five minute walk. And I was like, oh my God, like, but it is, I know it's that part. I just found really hard. Like, and I remember telling people about that and they were like, what? Like, you're not allowed to like do anything. And I was like, no, yeah. you're not allowed. Like you will get punished basically. And yeah. like, that's where I'm like, is this the right approach? Like you feel like you're, I did feel like you got punished a lot. Like if you did anything wrong, you got punished, but it was very much like, oh, they're not punishing you. They're punishing the eating disorder for her doing that. But it's like, to what degree, how do you, once you go through all this really strict treatment and you're being told what to do and you're like afraid to do anything, what, how do you go back to finding like normal life, but you're finding normal life in a brand new way. Like you can't act the way that you used to act. And yeah, it's just, I know. I wonder if there's just like a better way. Like, I still feel like I'm so traumatized from that experience, even though like doing it obviously saved my life, but yeah, I just, I don't know how other people do it, but (laughs) I don't know how it's other places. Like if they allow like movement or yeah. I I have, yeah, I have some friends who have gone to treatment like more recently. Um, and I think like yoga is being incorporated sometimes. I think it, it's definitely on an individual basis. And I think there needs to be a lot of checking in before during after like kind of where your mindset's at is the eating disorder voice coming in and being able to process that so I mean with some of my clients when we get to a point where we can focus on kind of movement and like what it feels like in your body and I think just like even connecting with your body again I think I can speak for myself but um for friends too that have shared their stories with me I think sometimes the eating disorder can be used as a disconnect Mm -hmm. to not be able to to detach from your body and so Mm -hmm. it's powerful to be able to focus on your breathing and feel how your body moves and connect with that and be comfortable with that and not try to always numb or escape it Mm -hmm. that's really true because it becomes you become like a shell of a person and Mm -hmm. like I'm still learning how to like connect with my body and like figure out like the different types of movement and like to me working out is still has to be like an intensive intensive workout and everything like that but like also like I was kind of raised to learn that way but um I feel like we should dive a little bit into like 
the whole like eating disorder voice because I'm there's going to be a lot of people listening to this and they're a not going to understand what an eating disorder is b think that an eating disorder is just like an illness where you don't eat but food is not the only thing that comes with an eating disorder that is just like a little portion of it and there's so many different types of eating disorders that everyone's relationship with food is different um and fixing you cannot fix your eating disorder by just eating or reducing how much you eat like it's that's not the cure for all it's not just like I remember just getting told by people just eat why can't you just eat and it's like that's not the problem um so why don't we like talk a little about about like yeah yeah the eating disorder voice and like what that can like how can we explain that to people that don't know anything so Eating disorders, I mean, a lot of people might know that there's anorexia and bulimia, but there's also binge eating disorder. And then there are a lot of subtypes within that. So I won't go into the subtypes because I also can't diagnose or anything. So, but NEDIC has a lot of great resources if people are learning Mm -hmm. and body brave as well um, to kind of understand more about eating disorders and kind of the behaviors that take place. But the eating disorder voice, um, it's difficult to explain to people who don't understand it because it's not yeah. it's not like this separate outside voice necessarily, but it's just it's a part of you. I don't even know what to say a part of you. <laughs> it's very difficult to explain. I would say in it's- when I work with clients, it's kind of identifying how we can separate the eating disorder voice from your voice. Mm-hmm. So that way we can make it so it's not you telling yourself to do these behaviors. Mm-hmm. But the illness that is saying all of this. Um, that's, I, I honestly, yeah. I wish I had a better way to describe it. I know it's really tricky to weigh, but someone, I think what well, probably a therapist, I don't even remember who told me this, but it's kind of like you're in an abusive relationship with yourself, even though it's not technically like you as a person, it's your, your illness is like the abuse, abusive partner. And yeah, you're basically your goal through treatment is to separate yourself from that voice, but also quiet, quieten down the voice so that you become stronger than and louder than the eating disorder because the eating disorder voice is very loud. And when it yeah. overtakes everything is when your eating disorder is at its strongest or you are most likely at your unhealthiest. Um so I know it's so hard to explain and I need to get like a real like therapist specialist on here and to explain yeah. it, that would be a good goal. Yeah, but... They would probably have a better way Yeah, I know how to explain it. Um, I also think what's interesting too is in recovery um, for me, I was like, I'd get really angry at the eating disorder voice and like, why do I struggle with this still? Why is this so mm-hmm. hard? Mm-hmm. And then I, it kind of started to shift as probably my therapist who mentioned something, but how can I look at the thoughts that come up or different urges I'm having as kind of like a bell going off in my mind that something is off in my life. So when I would get stressed or mm-hmm. I don't know, there are things going on outside of my control. That's when I would start to feel mm-hmm. urges to come up to restrict or exercise or different things. And I started to shift the anger at the voice for why I'm still struggling with it as like, a, oh, maybe something's off. Like what, maybe I need to pause look at what's going on in my life right now and see what's out of balance or what's out of control and why these urges are coming up. So Mm -hmm. that was also kind of a shift that can be helpful is like, instead of 
using anger towards it is how can I also listen to what red flags might be coming up with what's going Mm -hmm. on, if that makes sense. Yeah, because a lot of it is seeking control in areas that you can't control. And although you think you're seeking control, you're not actually getting control. Your eating disorder is controlling you, but you feel like you're in control, but you're really not in control. Yeah. So it's all confusing, <laughs> but that, that is a lot of it. Like your people who develop eating disorders or have an eating disorder, that is like your coping mechanism for life. So you've developed these behaviors and that's how you cope with your life. I mean, it happens to a lot of people, people cope in different ways, like over-exercising in their career, they overwork themselves. That's when we have like addiction problems. Um, I mean, we, we could go on and on with different ways that people cope in life, but eating disorders is can be another way to do that. So when you're going through treatment, you're also learning how to live life without an eating disorder or without using those behaviors. Um, And that is also really hard. I just remember like when I started treatment, it just felt like I was like getting stripped and ripped open. And like, you're just like bare and you're getting thrown into a fire because you weren't allowed to like live the whole way that you've been living for years and years and then it's like okay you're not allowed to do this you're not allowed to do that you're not allowed to do this and you have to like learn how to relive basically yeah it's hard when all of your coping skills are stripped away you're in such a vulnerable place and you've let people in and I mean for some people eating disorders develop from trauma for other people just kind of I mean they're biopsychosocial disorders Uh and so there's so many factors that can be involved with it that mm-hmm. it's really hard to begin recovery and kind of, un- I mean, a lot of it can be psychoeducation in the beginning and kind of learning about the cycle and how your thoughts, feeling behaviors are all connected. And when you engage in a behavior, how it all leads to different things. Um, but it's such a vulnerable place to be in. And then to have to build up from that of like different skills, safety nets and whatnot is a lot of hard work. And it mm-hmm. also, like, you need access to people and professionals who are able to support you in that as well, which is difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what a lot of people don't realize about eating disorders and what makes them so deadly is that while you're also getting worse, say mentally, you're also getting worse physically because a lot of these behaviors that you're engaging in also hurt your physical health, yeah. um, which is why getting the proper treatment is so important because yeah, maybe if you just do therapy, but you're physically very unwell, that's not going to necessarily help you in other ways. But, and this is where the big problem is like, you only get that full support if you get into one of those treatment programs. But if you're left like a waiting for a long time or B can't afford it or anything like that, you then have to figure out how to do it on your own. And it's like, how do you, how do you even start without being so discouraged? And most of the time people don't want to do treatment. Like you have to get to a point where a, you like want to change or you're being forced to do it. Like, what was it like for you? Did you want to go to treatment or were you kind of like in a position where you had to go or. Um, both, I would say the first time 
everything just kind of came to a head mental health wise that I just knew I couldn't keep going on like this. Um, and so I had asked for help and actually the second time I also asked for help too. Um, I think I just reached these kind of breaking points for myself. Um, and for everyone that's going to be different, not everyone has to reach, you know, a certain Uh quote unquote rock bottom. It's going to vary for each person, but I basically just got tired of being sick with the eating disorder. You know, it's always, I find in the eating disorder community, or at least like when you're struggling with it, there's this comparison of not always not feeling sick enough. Uh Um, And so I kind of tried to think about the fact that, okay, what if I never am quote unquote sick enough? Right. But what if I actually am just tired of being sick? What if what I'm doing right now isn't living, you know, you do become a shell of a person. Mm -hmm. And so I, yeah, finally just asked my family and was able to reach out for help and kind of take some initiative and looking for resources and what I could do. Um, yeah, to help get me on the track for recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really great because for a lot of people, it's not necessarily the case. But I do think you made a really important point with when it comes to either getting treatment or being in treatment or having an eating disorder, I feel like there is a competition for who's the sickest. You kind of fall into that trap of thinking like, oh, I'm not sick enough to get treatment yet or I'm not sick enough to receive help or I don't need treatment yet because I'm not sick enough or I don't look like that or I don't act like that Um, because society has created these images of what an eating disorder looks like. Like if you have anorexia, you should look like this. You should be connected to a feeding tube. You should be in the hospital, all these things. And then there's like the other side of the spectrum. Like if you have binge eating disorder, you should be overweight and all of this, or if you have bulimia, but they're not that's not the case. Like I remember like when I was going through the throes of my eating disorder, I, um, went through like that same sort of thing where it was like, I didn't feel sick enough. So I just had to like, keep going, but that's like your eating disorder telling you that. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, really hard when there's these preconceived ideas of what eating disorders look like and also feeling like you're stuck in a box because I think some people think okay if I only have anorexia like that means that I'll never struggle with other things but sometimes the eating disorder can change the behaviors over time so I mean I think growing up I look at how I struggled more with overeating like I don't think it was just disordered eating at that point it wasn't um, an eating disorder but then that shifted to then restricting later in life Mm -hmm. and then also feeling out of control around food and so sometimes behaviors can change Mm -hmm. as well which is also can make it difficult to treat because sometimes I feel like we can get caught up on the labels or the diagnosis Mm -hmm. and not see how sometimes the eating disorder can morph into different behaviors yeah that's totally true And then, yeah, when you do go to treatment, I mean, some treatment centers only take like people who have certain eating disorders. So then it's like, oh, you don't qualify because you're not sick enough. So it's really, but I mean, that's government. So like they can probably only take so many people. And I think what people don't realize when it comes to like government funded 
treatment is that they only have so many spots available. And so people have to like run their course. So where I went, they only had like 12 spots available and they had people who started like intensive and then went up to like day and then you go into another program. So you have to, that's why you have to wait so long. Like I think my wait was like 10 months. Um, and then it was because like one person may be there for two months. One person may be there for six months. Like you just don't know. And you just have to wait until a spot comes open. And then it's like, okay, we have a spot tomorrow. And then you have to go. It's like, oh. yeah. so, and then there's that whole waiting time that if you don't have support through that waiting time, like most likely you're going to either drop out or you're just going to get sicker. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't make it like they can't yeah. afford to wait. And that's where the big problem is. So I guess that's where you come into. Yeah, it's it's really how eating disorder treatment centers and programs are created. I feel like need to really change from the top down. And so, yeah, for a lot of people, they're going to end up getting a lot sicker if they have to wait, you know, five to six plus months in order to get into treatment. And with the pandemic, I mean, wait times just got longer. Programs had to shift um, to not always being in person and virtual, which I do think virtual has a lot of great um, points to it. I mean, people in rural communities can now access care that they didn't have access to before Mm -hmm. um, and can kind of fit in to help support someone to get into a program and then when they're stepping down as well. Mm -hmm. And do you work with people that don't have necessarily support from their family or their close friends? Like, I think that's also another really important aspect of the illness is that a lot of people around them won't understand and just think like, they'll do this or fix this. And it's not necessarily the case, which makes eating disorders even more complex and even more stigma around them because it's so hard for people who a haven't gone through it to really understand what it is. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I can do sessions with family members as well. Um, and friends who want to be a supportive role, um, for my clients, but I think it's also key for loved ones to do some research and kind of understand what eating disorders are like, check in with their loved one and what they can do to help support them and find resources as well. Cause it, you can't recover alone. You need support. You need a team behind you. So even with like holidays and different things, like knowing that you have people next to you that can help support you through it is really key in recovery. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, Netic, Body Brave, there are other um, places that can have good resources for caregivers and supporters um, who have loved ones who are struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you, yeah, I don't know anybody that can really do it all alone. Yeah, we're it's not meant lot. to live in isolation. You know, we're meant to live in community. And mm-hmm. so we can't recover on our own. It's just not possible. I mean, the darkness that comes with mental illness that thrives in isolation. And so by bringing people in, it helps bring some light into it and support. And so you don't feel like you have to do it all alone. Yeah, because eating disorders thrive in silence and they thrive in secrecy. Yeah. So a lot of it happens. A lot of it is like, it's almost like a game. Like you're trying to hide it from everyone and anyone. And a lot of people 
don't find out until it's too late, unfortunately. Yeah. Feeling Good Sometimes is sponsored and supported by Pure Balanced. Pure Balance is a Canadian fashion brand. We are based in Bath, Ontario, and everything is made in Toronto, Ontario by our female run and owned production house. We are slow fashion, sustainable, and we focus on creating everyday basics that have a hidden message just for you. And as a listener of Feeling Good Sometimes, you can save 15% on your next order with the code Feeling Good Sometimes. That's Feeling Good Sometimes. Apply it at checkout and you can save 15% on your next order. Alrighty, back to today's episode takeaway for people who are struggling is to know that it's okay to ask for help um Mm -hmm. because there's so much stigma with mental health in general and mental illness but knowing that like there is help out there and Mm -hmm. programs are trying to become more accessible and more affordable and so just being able to reach out and ask someone for help even if they don't have the answers can be really helpful just to no longer be in it alone Mm-hmm. And so I, I can send you a list of some resources in Ontario um, or Canada that can be helpful as well as a few in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people who are struggling. But I think just knowing it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. And like, and what would, oh yeah, recovery as possible. Yeah. That's, that's a hard one to even recognize when you're very early into it or very much in your eating disorder. Like I was like very much like, I'm never going to be one of those people that goes into recovery, like screw this. And I got the stats, like when I first started like going to any sort of like treatment and it's like, Oh, it's going to take you six years to recover. And I was like, screw this. I'm done. I'm not coming back. And then I was just like, so angry the whole time. Like I had to go through that one program like two times because the first time I was so angry and I didn't want to be there. I hated it. I didn't like do anything. And then the second time was a little bit different, but yeah, it's sometimes the things you get told just are not the right things but it yeah. but the problem is is like a lot of it is group unfortunately a lot of programs are group because they have to try and fit in as many people as they can with limited staff um and you i find like especially for outpatient clinics you don't get a lot of one-on-one support unless you're very sick and they're like really trying to like keep you going and until like you can get into something bigger or i mean more intensive but um yeah it, Definitely is possible, but even if it doesn't seem like it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not a quick fix. I mean, if we think about how long we've been receiving messages with diet culture and everything, um, the eating disorder didn't just happen overnight. Uh You know, it's a lot of little small things that just slowly build um, and develop into a disorder. And so recovery is going to take a while and that can be really discouraging sometimes, but um the sooner we're able to get help, then the sooner like you're able to move through recovery and start understanding the patterns that are involved and work towards full recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. So do you have any advice for anyone who is currently in the early stages of like thinking like, oh, maybe something's wrong here. Like maybe I should get help or like, but they're they just don't know what to do. Like they're too afraid to like talk to someone or they're because I think also what happens with 
eating disorders is there's so much shame and guilt around mm-hmm. it. Like that's a big, big, big portion of it. Um, and that makes it really hard to tell someone about it because if that person says the wrong thing or says like, oh no, there's nothing wrong with you. Like you're fine. Then that's kind of like your validation to keep going. Cause you're not, there's obviously nothing wrong with you. You're not sick or you're not sick enough. So you just keep going. Um, so what would you recommend for someone who's like in that stage? Yeah, I think, I think we know ourselves best. And so if you're in a place where you're feeling like maybe something's wrong or you're definitely struggling with your relationship to food, then I would reach out for support, ask, talk to a loved one. You can reach out to me, um, on social media or through my website, um, talk to your doctor. And if people aren't listening or receiving it, then I would try again, you know, and ask someone else and speak to other people because not everyone is going to understand it. And you really, it's trying to figure out how to advocate for yourself and know that what you're going through is valid and that there is help out there. So I would say definitely reach out for support. Um, Netic has a list of resources. I think being able to talk to a therapist is great. Um, finding a recovery coach and a dietitian. So, but the first step is just telling someone mm-hmm. and yeah. not keeping it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And taking it one day at a time. I mean, sometimes that can be a cheesy <laughs> saying or cliche, but, but it honestly, really is yeah. one day at a time, one meal at a time, just like working through each day as it is and not getting too far ahead. Mm-hmm. And I think like, when you're in the early stages and you do feel like something's wrong and like, I'm going to use the example of going to a family doctor and they tell you that nothing's wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. but you still feel like something's wrong. Yeah. Keep, keep talking to someone or seek another way to find help because unfortunately our family doctors are not educated enough in when it comes to eating disorders that most of the time they will either push you the wrong way or they might guide you in the right way but unfortunately not all of our family doctors yeah. are knowledgeable enough uh, does netic still have the online chat do you know yeah they still have online okay chat. perfect um and body brave i think i don't know if they have online chat but they're a great place to reach out to if you're in ontario as well mm-hmm. and i don't body brave you don't need a diagnosis i don't believe um mm-hmm. receive services so that's also Okay. Yeah. We'll link all that in the show notes and everything so that people can refer to that. Um, and then also what's something you recommend to family, family members, or like if you have a friend that you think has a problem or just anyone that you think you're surrounded with that you think has an eating disorder or has something going on, but you're not sure what to do. I, I would just recommend checking in with them. I think often we don't check in on people who we think have it all together Mm -hmm. or if you see any red flags or anything you don't have to say you think this person has an eating disorder but just check in and ask them how they're doing and be really honest you Mm -hmm. know and take the time to be present with them and talk about things and maybe they won't be ready to say that Mm -hmm. they're struggling or whatnot but if you can at least open uh the communication there and to build trust so that way you know when they are ready to talk about it or to reach out for help that you can be there as a support Mm -hmm. and do the education yourself too. So get on Google, look up eating disorders. There are programs for people who are caring for people that are struggling with eating disorders. So really taking on yourself to educate yourself on eating disorders 
and then checking in with your loved ones on what they find helpful for ways that you can support them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Such a tricky situation. It's complicated. <laughs> I wish there was just like uh, something way better in the world to help people with this because it's the one illness that you cannot afford to let it slip by. Yeah. It just, it's terrible. Um, either way, <laughs> on that note um so whenever we end the podcast i like to kind of end with like a rapid fire where i'm going to ask you like five questions and you can answer in like one sentence or one word um just like whatever comes to your mind first don't judge it and yeah are you ready sweet yes um okay so the first question is what is something that you do that makes you feel good um i hang out with my dog Awesome. Yeah. Yes. Um, question number two, what is something that you value? Uh, my family and friends. Awesome. Uh, question three, what is something you want to let go of? Uh, perfectionism. Mm. Always a work in progress. Don't we all? <laughs> question four, what is something that you're currently working on? So it can be like career or personal or just like anything. Um, Coaching is something and just continuing to learn more about eating disorders and treatment options. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then the last question is, how do you want to be remembered? Um, oh, that's a good one. I know. What's a good one? Um, I think just as someone who was kind and there for people, um, someone who's honest and lived life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. I love that. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much, Laura, for coming on the podcast. Before you go, um, let everyone know where they can find you, whether that be your website, social media, or uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you can find me at laurashawcoaching.com. Okay. Uh, I'm also on Instagram um, at laurashawcoaching. So you can find me there. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're so welcome. We'll have everything linked in the show notes so that people can reach out if they need to. And then we'll make sure to link uh, resources like Netic and Body Brave like you talked about so they can go check those out. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for sharing your journey and a little bit more into eating disorders as this will be a topic we will talk way more about in the future. Um, But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you loved it. If you did, I would so much love if you could rate and review the podcast. You have no idea how much it means. And you can always tag us in your stories at Pure Belt, at Allie Jean Duff. And then also you can tag Laura Shore Coaching. Um, Everything that we talked about will be linked in the show notes. So if you do need that extra support, you can reach out to Laura or you can check out all the available resources when it comes to eating disorders. I hope that you were able able to learn something that maybe you didn't know and maybe this podcast is something that you think a friend could listen to and you can share it with them anyway thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week